Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's 9.30 in 716. Good morning. WBEN News Time 502. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Outside currently looking uh, cooler than it was yesterday, to say the least. Partly cloudy, 57. In Buffalo. The suspect in the mass shooting at Tops that killed 10 people earlier in May faces a 25-count indictment in Erie County Court, including a charge of domestic terrorism motivated by hate. That charge alone would carry an automatic sentence of life in prison without parole. The 18-year-old faces 10 counts of first-degree murder, 10 counts of second-degree murder, three counts of attempted second-degree murder, as well as criminal possession of a weapon. He's set to appear in court later on this afternoon at about 2 p.m. to be arraigned on those charges. While it is not clear where the students of Robb Elementary School in Texas will go when the school year starts up again, they won't be going back to the place where that shooting occurred. We are told that many of the children who survived last week's shooting do not ever want to go back into that building, and district officials have said that no students will return to the school next year. In the meantime, the governor has instructed all schools in the state to review their emergency plans and assess their needs and provide a progress report by the fall. That's Marcus Moore in Uvalde, Texas. Classrooms across western New York forced to walk a fine line between securing buildings and limiting student anxiety. WBEN's Brayton Wilson has more. Given all that's happened in the past two and a half weeks, school districts are working to find a balance between ensuring school safety and helping students that may be dealing with the anxiety of it all. The first thing that we want to do in a crisis response situation is ensure that we're doing everything we can to support our children who are coming to school with complex feelings and questions, making sure that if they need something more than what the teacher in the classroom can provide, our teachers in class have been amazing through all of this, understanding that kids are going to come to school with complex feelings and questions, being prepared to facilitate dialogue at a developmentally appropriate level with children about how they're feeling. That's president of the Erie Niagara School Superintendent Association, Michael Cornell. Following the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Congressman Chris Jacobs spoke on the need for enhancing security measures in schools across New York State and the U.S. Cornell feels there's also space for conversation around more funding for the implementation of of an accredited youth mental health first aid program in order to increase the capacity to recognize the signs of youth mental illness much more readily across all school systems. However, Cornell knows it's going to take a multitude of factors to enhance the safety of kids in schools and in the community. When you provide all of your adults in your school system with the opportunity to recognize in a sophisticated way the signs and symptoms of mental illness in young people and make sure that that child gets the help that he or she needs, that not only makes the school safer, it makes your community safer. So it's going to take a concerted effort on a number of fronts to make sure that our schools and our communities are safer. More of our conversation with Cornell is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. Brayton, thank you. Authorities in Tulsa, Oklahoma say a gunman killed at least four at a medical building and wounded several others. 
Around 5 p.m., police on the scene three minutes after getting the call about an armed man at the medical office. And just one minute later, authorities say officers made it to the second floor, where they found the victims along with the gunman, who they say died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Officers say they searched hundreds of rooms in the five-story building looking for any more victims. That's Mona Koser Abdi. We'll be going to Tulsa, bringing you the latest throughout the morning. Meanwhile, in Washington, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle seem to be making some progress on gun reform measures. A group of bipartisan senators have been working on gun reform, and Democratic Senator Chris Murphy was optimistic on MSNBC about them reaching a deal. Maybe we won't succeed, but I've never seen more Republicans at the table willing to talk about changes in our gun laws than I do today. Murphy says there's momentum on a bill that includes things like expanded background checks and red flag gun laws. Republican Senator Susan Collins releasing a statement saying, we are making rapid progress toward a common sense package that could garner support from both Republicans and Democrats. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. The past two weeks have put a spotlight on lack of access to food on Buffalo's east side. But are some options being forgotten? Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown. The governor previously announced over uh, $30 million for the Broadway market. Uh, People talk about a food desert on the east side of Buffalo, but there are more places to shop than have been noted. Uh, The Broadway market is one of those places. WBEN's Tom Puckett has more on how the Broadway market fits into the conversation. New York State is giving the Broadway market $37 million to help improve the market. It already is a regional destination, different times during the year, and certainly uh, neighborhood um, food market throughout the year. And it's to really bring it upgrade, bring new vendors in, redo the outside, redo the inside, probably an elevator and a freight elevator and upgrades to vendor spaces. Kathy Peterson with the Broadway Market says the market is doing its part to help deal with the temporary food desert in the neighborhood. We actually have a save-a-lot right inside the Broadway Market, two butchers, a fish market, um, five different restaurants. So um, we... Um, along with our neighbor Aldi's and Buffalo Fresh, which is also across the street from the market, um, address any type of food problem in our neighborhood. Peterson says any improvement to the Broadway market helps the Central Terminal and vice versa. Hear more about that online. Tom Puckett, WBEN.com News. 5.08 now on WBEN. President Biden acknowledging he didn't know about the baby formula crisis until months after a crucial manufacturing plant owned by Abbott was shut down. This all started back in October when an Abbott whistleblower notified the FDA about safety infractions. The FDA did not act until January, inspecting the plant after learning about two infant deaths and several hospitalizations in children who had consumed the formula, finding, quote, egregious violations. The plant was shut down in February. But Biden says he wasn't notified of the impending national crisis until April. The head of America's biggest bank is giving his forecast for the U.S. economy. It's a hurricane. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon is warning of an economic hurricane, telling investors at a conference yesterday, quote, you better brace yourself. Right now it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. 
We just don't know if it's a minor one or Superstorm Sandy. Diamond says the major factors in this brewing economic storm are recent actions by the Federal Reserve to slow inflation, plus the war in Ukraine and its impact on food and oil prices. That's Justin Finch with that report. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast calls for mix of sun and clouds today. Could see a brief shower later this afternoon, otherwise mostly dry today with temperatures near 70 degrees tonight. Partly cloudy and cool. Overnight lows in the low 50s. Good deal of sunshine on Friday with highs near 70 degrees. Saturday, a little cooler, partly sunny with highs in the mid-60s. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us on the line is Attorney Paul Cambria, expert legal analyst, with a look at the indictment of the TOPS shooter. Paul, thanks for being with us this morning. We're uh, taking a look at kind of what some of this means. A 25-count indictment. Uh, He's set to appear in a courtroom later today. There are 10 counts of first-degree murder, 10 counts of second-degree murder. Uh, There are three counts of attempted second-degree murder, criminal possession of a weapon. And then this, Paul, uh, charge of domestic terrorism motivated by hate. I want to start there. What exactly is needed to bring about that charge, and what does that mean? Well, the way that um, this is charged, they're basically saying that motivated by hate uh, here, race, uh, five or more people were intended to be killed and were killed, and uh, that's that's how they've charged them. This is a brand-new statute. Um, and uh, obviously, first time it's been uh, implemented in our area, that's for sure. But basically, this is the way it's charged. It's saying that it's a multiple person murder uh, and that it's motivated by uh, hate. And in this case, race and uh, that it was committed because of race or color. Uh, so that's that. Now, the uh, that carries life without parole, which is the highest really count in this 25-count indictment. What happens after today, after he enters a plea at his arraignment? <clears throat> well, um, you know, there, there, I'm certain there won't be any bail uh, and that he will be remanded to custody. And then the prosecution has uh, several days, depending upon Uh, how much discovery they have, but 30 to 45 days to submit to the defense uh, all the so-called discovery, which would be pictures, testimony, grand jury testimony, all the rest of it. Then the defense will have an opportunity to file pretrial motions uh, and to ask the court for a number of things, uh, depending upon what the defense lawyers think uh, uh, are, you know, relevant issues to raise. Uh, and usually those are things like statements and search and seizure and the rest of it. But it doesn't sound like this case has those issues in it. Um, so once that's done, uh, then the matter will be, you know, set for trial. Uh, the case will be assigned to a particular judge shortly. I mean, there, uh, he's being in, uh, arraigned today, I think, in front of Justice Egan. Uh, but whether or not that person is assigned to the case, uh, I don't know. Uh, usually what happens is 
you're arraigned at an intake part, and then later there is an assignment to a particular judge, and then the whole case proceeds in front of that judge. Paul, a case like this, uh, you know, everybody is looking at this and thinking, all right, we know you did this. We know exactly what you did. We know you're guilty. Why not plead guilty? Can you walk us through that process? Well, first things first, and that is, will there be a motion by the defense to change venue because they feel that it's impossible to get a fair trial in this community? That motion would be premature until the day jury selection starts uh, because the courts have basically said, start trying to pick the jury, and then if the record is such that it shows that it's impossible to find uh, 12-plus alternate jurors uh, who can be fair and impartial, then we may move that case to another community. So that'll be the first big hurdle here. Uh, After that, uh, you know, the defense can try to negotiate with the district attorney it's very unlikely that the district attorney would agree to some kind of, you know, plea bargain that's going to be lesser than uh, life without parole. Uh, so I would say this case goes to a judge. Motions are filed, one of which is going to be uh, change venue. They'll start jury selection, see whether or not it's possible to get a jury. If not, it'll get moved out of this community. But, you know, what, even... What, Sorry, uh, what's the benefit, though? You, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, maybe a, a plea bargain, but that would still have life without parole. This is going to be life in prison. What is the benefit or advantage of somebody, um, you know, agreeing to one thing that's going to mean life in prison without parole versus another? Yeah, well, that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't. You wouldn't agree to that because you might as well go to trial. Uh, it would have to be something less than life without parole. So in other words, one of the other sentences, because some of these counts are hate crimes, the usual sentence is bumped up. So so if it's usually 15 to life on a murder case, now it becomes 20 to life because it's a hate crime. So theoretically, uh, if you pled to 20 to life, it would be less than life without parole. So that might be the only possible thing the defense would say, well, you know, would you, would you, Mr. DA, consider this uh, 20 to life or 15 to life versus life without parole? That would be the only real, you know, uh, possible plea bargain. I don't see the prosecution here agreeing to anything. I'm just looking at the type of defense that could be made in this case, even if it's not in the trial's not in this community. The shooter admitted to his manifesto, live streamed the event, and was caught at the scene by police, right? I mean, is there anything other than a a mental Uh health defense? Well, I, you know, you would think not. And I, I did notice that when the district attorney made a statement about Uh, the defense withdrawing a mental examination, the defense uh, uh, protested and said that statement shouldn't have been made or what have you. So that sort of indicates that they're keeping that option open. 
but whether they do or not is another story. But you're right. That appears to be the only potentially viable avenue. Paul, appreciate the expertise and the time this morning, and we'll see exactly what happens inside of a courtroom at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Paul Cambria, attorney, our expert legal analyst, joining us live here. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.